So we're going to be spending some time this morning in Luke chapter 4, which is one of the places that we see the story of Jesus being tested in the wilderness. Uh, we're also going to uh, dip back into Exodus in the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 16. So if you kind of want to put a finger or a bookmark in both those places, Luke 4 and Exodus chapter 16, then that would be, uh, be great for you to be able to follow along. So let's do this. Uh, would you stand for the reading of the word this morning? We're reminded this morning that uh, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So here we're going to read the word together this morning and be nourished. Luke chapter 4 goes like this. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. And the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here for it's written. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. But Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. The word of the Lord this morning. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So, in this season of Lent, in this season of wilderness, of recognizing our need before God, uh, we see in this passage Jesus being led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested by the devil, which is one of the reasons that we chose this song, Tremble, because it seems to me like this epic cage match without a cage in the desert that, that's just beginning, that the devil recognizes that there is a power and an authority and a unique quality that's going on in the life of Jesus that's going to require something more from, from the enemy of our souls. And so he goes personally and tries to confront Jesus out in the wilderness. And you've got this epic battle that begins to play out. Even the darkness itself trembles at the thought of Jesus moving out and announcing the kingdom of God and proclaiming God's word and being the word of God out into the world. So Jesus goes out into the wilderness which is a little bit odd that you think that Jesus, this one who could command angels, uh, armies of angels, if he wanted at any given moment, willingly is led by the Spirit out into a place of desolation, into the desert, and, and submits himself to a season of fasting for 40 days and 40 nights out into this wilderness. It's odd on one level, but on another level, I'm thankful that Jesus chooses right after his baptism, before he goes into public ministry, to go all the way out into the wilderness. Because a lot of times we find ourselves in the wilderness. 
And there's a part of me that's comforted knowing that I, when I go out into the wilderness, that's a place that Jesus knows really well. And he knows it at a depth that goes a whole lot deeper than what I ever experienced the wilderness to be. We know seasons of wilderness. We know what it's like to go through seasons that seem dry and that seem desolate, where there's a lot of despair, where it looks like no matter where we look around us, there's nothing that's going to sustain our life, where the elements beat down on us, where a lot of times our need seems more real than the God who can deliver us from those needs. Do you know what these seasons are like in your life? You've been in these seasons, seasons of mourning, of lack of nourishment, of where it seems like there's a lack of provision, where where you're not sure where the next bit of provision is coming from. We get into these seasons of wilderness and and we become weak and we become vulnerable in these seasons. Uh, We're tempted sometimes to try and take the shortcut, to find an easy fix, to try and, and here's a key thought for the day, to try and find ways to sustain our own lives by grasping out and, and, and trying to figure out if there's a detour around God's provision through the wilderness that will get us out of the wilderness a little bit faster. And so we lay awake at night and we brainstorm and we work extra hard and we, we try and grab for some way of securing our own future in this world, of securing our own nourishment, securing our own provision. And so Jesus recognizes that we get tempted in the wilderness seasons. And so he takes the fight all the way out to the wilderness right up front at the very beginning. And I'm so glad he does. The wilderness is not just a place you and I are familiar. It's a place that God's people had been familiar with for several generations. In fact, one of the most formative stories in the Bible, if you want to flip back to Exodus chapter 16, is the story of Exodus. And the Israelites find themselves for 40 years in the wilderness. And, and the story goes, they'd been slaves in Egypt for 400 years and, and God delivers them and they pass, listen, they pass through the waters of the Red Sea and they're led out into the wilderness for a period of 40 years on their way to the promised land. Now, Does any of that kind of journey sound familiar as we start talking about Jesus? Think about what Jesus has just gone through. He's come and presented himself to John the Baptist to be baptized in the Jordan River. And so in a sense, he has passed through the waters. And then immediately the spirit leads him out into the wilderness, which is different from like the Justin Timberlake man of the woods, like like woods wilderness. It is the desert. This is what they're calling there. So he goes out into the desert just the same way. So he passes through the water into the wilderness where he's going to spend 40 days and nights fasting. None of this is by accident. Jesus goes through his baptism and into the wilderness and he spends 40 days and 40 nights out there because in a sense, he is taking the whole story of Israel and all the places where they have failed, where they have been unfaithful, where they have not trusted in the provision of God to lead them to the next place in the journey. And he's taken all these parts of the story into his own story. He's assuming these parts. He's absorbing all of these parts of the story of Israel. And he's saying, I am the new Israel. I'm going to do this properly. So he goes out there and and we're going to talk more about that as the series goes on. But in the story of Israel, 
They are delivered. They go through the waters of the Red Sea. They're sent out into the wilderness. And they've just been delivered. They've just seen all these miracles. All of Pharaoh's army is flooded under the water of the Red Sea. And, and almost immediately after they get into the wilderness, into the desert area, on their way to the promised land, they start complaining. Moses, Moses, what are we going to do for water? This is the desert. Have you noticed this? We've got this whole nation now that we've got to make our way to the promised land. And Moses uh, takes this request before God. God leads them to this oasis in the desert, but the water is bitter. And God leads Moses to put his staff down in the water and it turns it into drinkable water. And the Israelites, uh, surprisingly in one sense, but not surprisingly in another sense, because of all the things that they've seen God do, uh, quenches their thirst. They turn right around. The very next story they begin grumbling and complaining against God for food. Uh, and so here's what they say in Exodus, Exodus chapter 16, verses 2 and 3. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. At one point, Moses uh, and Aaron go back to the people and they say, why are you complaining against us? It's the Lord you're complaining against. And God hears this grumbling, though, out into the desert where almost immediately the Israelites have trouble in the wilderness Trusting in the God who led them there in his ability to provide for their needs while they are moving through that land. And so they're, they're trying to figure out what do we do here? They're complaining, they're grumbling, they're suffering from a lack of trust in God's ability to provide and sustain their life. God hears their cries and God says, listen, I'll answer this prayer. And God does this incredible thing where he provides manna. In the morning, these, these little like frosted flakes kind of, uh, kind of bread that's there on the ground in the morning. And then at night, he provides meat for them in the form of quail coming in. But he gives them some instructions. Because so much of the wilderness experience of the Israelites is a lesson of learning to be obedient to God. Learning to trust in God's command and learning to trust in God's provision for the seasons of wilderness. God gives them some instructions to kind of test them, to see how obedient they're going to be. He says, look, every day when you go out to gather in the morning, only gather enough of the manna for the day for your family. Uh, only for the day. It won't be good the next day, so just gather it for the day. I'll be faithful to you each day. And then on the sixth day, because the seventh day is the Sabbath, and I don't want you to do any work on the Sabbath, on the sixth day you're allowed to gather twice as much as you normally would. And so these are the instructions. And God's testing their obedience. God's trying to teach them on a daily basis to wake up and trust God for their daily bread, right? This is a part of the prayer that we pray in the kingdom of God as, as the people of Jesus, that God give us our daily bread today. This is what God is trying to teach them in the wilderness, but they struggled with this. And so almost from the get-go, there's most of the people went out, they just gathered enough for the day, but there were several people that just couldn't trust in God's ability to provide. And so they go out and they gathered more than they needed. 
And then on the sixth day, uh, and, and on the seventh day, then some people, even though they were supposed to have had enough from what they had gathered on the sixth day, some of them go out on the seventh day. And what they find is that the things that they gathered outside of the command and instruction of God, it spoils. It's no good for their provision. They wake up the next day and there's maggots in it and it's rotted. Uh, and, and, and they find that every time they try to grasp for their own good and their own provision and secure their own life, it spoils. Man, isn't that so true? Every time we grasp for our own security and try to secure our own life and future and eternity, it ends up spoiling. This wasn't just a food issue for the Israelites. They move on from those kinds of experiences and they, they continue to grumble through the desert experience. But they get to the part where uh, Moses goes up the mountain and, uh, and begins receiving the commands of God. And they're all waiting down at the foot of the mountain. And they're having a difficult time trusting in a God they can't see. And like I said, their needs seem more real than the God that they can't quite grab and they can't see. So they decide to melt down all their gold and their jewelry and they fashion a golden calf to worship just so they could have something to manipulate, something to touch, something hopefully to grab and massage and work on in order. Again, this is a grab to try and secure their own future. Trouble trusting in the God who's unseen in the face of needs that seem more real. They get to, finally, they get to the edge of the promised land and they send some scouts into the promised land, into the land of Canaan, this land flowing with milk and honey and grapes and all sorts of wonderful things. And, and they go out into this place and God's led them here and it's so amazing, but there are giants in the land. And again, it's one of these things, God's called them to this place, but the, the problems, the difficulties, the challenges seem more real than the God who's capable of bringing them through those things. This is the story of the Israelites. It's a story that we know all too well. This is our experience. This is our story. We know exactly what these kinds of things are like. And so we find Jesus in the story in Luke chapter 4, kind of taking that whole story where the Israelites had failed. And, and it kind of has become this kind of like, these are our ancestors. This is our story. This is what we do. And this kind of self-fulfilling prophecy where we just like, this is kind of our people and kind of how we fall and Jesus takes all that into himself and he goes out into the wilderness to do battle out there, in a sense, with, with the devil out in the wilderness. So the devil, after 40 days and 40 nights of Jesus fasting, takes up a, an opportunity, sees an opportunity, and he begins to play on Jesus' vulnerability and Jesus' weakness. Because the devil's not an idiot uh, in the sense of like he knows where to find our weak points, Right? He knows where to find where we're vulnerable, and that's where he's going to attack. And he attacks Jesus on the empty stomach right here. And the words that he says to Jesus in verse 3, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Take control, Jesus. You've got the power. You've got the authority. You've got the ability. You, more than anybody else, have the ability to secure and sustain your own life. You are the word of life. You are the source 
of life itself. Everything that exists has been created through you and for you and by you. You have the power, surely, to just take this stone and turn it into bread. This is the age-old temptation. It's the temptation you and I experienced. It's the temptation the Israelites experienced. Just take your own security and secure your own future. Take, take in your hands your own life and your ability to secure your own future. But Jesus, when the Israelites and when many of us have chosen to lean into wanting to secure our own future, Jesus leans into and trusts in God's ability to secure his life on his behalf. And so Jesus' response is so great here. In verse 4, Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. What a great response, right? Don't you wish you were like, like as, as on point when the temptations come as Jesus? He's just got these wonderful responses. Uh, Satan, I'm sorry, but I know bread's important, but that's not the only thing that nourishes me. Man does not live on bread alone. Like there is a source of life and nourishment and provision that goes deeper than bread, he's saying. There's a source of provision and sustenance and life and security that goes deeper and operates on a whole different level than physical bread, than the elements of this world. Jesus is hearkening back to uh, a passage in Deuteronomy, which kind of comes out of that season of wilderness from the Israelites in the the first five books of the Bible in Deuteronomy chapter uh, six, four. What's the next uh, slide here, Sarah? Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, and these are my italics here, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. These are the words that the Israelites were taught to remember. This was a formative lesson in the wilderness, and they'd failed time and time again, and we failed time and time again. But Jesus chooses to be faithful. When the devil asks him to lean into his own power to secure his life and his future and, and, and his own belly and fill himself up, when he asks him to lean into that, Jesus leans in the other direction. Jesus chooses to be faithful. Jesus chooses to trust in God's ability to provide and recognize he lives on something that's different, that operates on another level than physical bread. It reminds me of that story in John chapter 4. When Jesus and his disciples find their way to this area in Samaria where there's this well and they make this pit stop because the disciples are hungry. And so the disciples run off into the nearby town to get something to eat. And Jesus waits there by the well and he meets the Samaritan woman that comes. And they have this interaction and that's a story and a sermon for another day. But they have this interaction that transforms her life. This is what happens when people come into contact with the living God, with Jesus, with the word of God in the flesh. It transforms her and, and he reads into her heart and they have this conversation about worship and, and something in her comes alive as a result 
of meeting Jesus and having this conversation. So she runs off into the city. And I wonder if like she passes the disciples uh, running back into town as they're on their way back to Jesus. And she goes to tell all of her friends in the whole city, you would not believe what this guy that I met at the well just told me. Everybody, you've got to come out and see him. But the disciples get there first and, and they bring Jesus like their leftovers from taco place or something. I don't know. And, and, uh, and, and so they're like, Jesus, we've got these tacos from Blue Coast and they're wonderful. Have you tried the salsa? And, and you really need to do this. And Jesus says, no, I'm, I'm not hungry. In fact, he, he, um, he goes like this. Uh, let, me, let me find this. Do I have this on the screen, Sarah? I don't. So let me find this real quick. John chapter 4. I want to read it to you. It's so good. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him. So they, they've gotten back out to the well. Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Isn't that so good? I'm sorry. Every time I read that verse, I can't help but think of the Julia Roberts uh, movie where like, it's like she's trying to date a guy that's getting ready to be married to somebody else. And she goes, I've got moves you've never seen or something. You know that one? Anyway, I won't do the walk and all that. But like, but uh, I can't help but read it in that tone. I have food to eat that you know nothing about, you know, like kind of a deal. You're welcome, and I'm sorry uh, for every time you go to that story from now on. Um, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? Like they're just scratching it in their heads. It's early on in Jesus' ministry. They're not sure how to take him at this point. You know, they've just begun following him. What is he talking about food? Does he carry around Snickers in his pocket? Like, what's going on? Um, and Jesus says to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. There is a level of sustenance and provision and fulfillment that you and I were created for that operates on a whole other level than a full stomach. It's a sense of fulfillment and the a gift of being able to trust in the God who has the power to give life even beyond the grave. This is what Jesus does out there in the wilderness. Uh, he he takes that lesson of the wilderness experience of the Israelites and he lives in it in the proper faithful way. He has learned the lesson of obedience. He has shown us the way to walk as our leader, as our master, as our guide. This is the way you walk through a wilderness experience. This is how you trust in an unseen God who's capable of filling your needs and sustaining your life. This, the season of Lent very much is a season where we have to do uh, business with the reality that, like we remember on Ash Wednesday, if any of you went to an Ash Wednesday service and you get the ashes put on your forehead, and when those ashes go on your forehead, you are told, from dust you have come, and to dust you will return. The season of Lent, this 40 days leading up to Easter, is a reminder that we cannot secure ultimately our own life and our own future. 
Every one of us comes from dust and returns to dust. And there's nothing you or I can do about it. Your eternity is not a right simply because of the fact that you're here. Life eternally belongs to God. It's His to bring into this world. It's His to receive into eternity. It's His to raise up even after the grave. And so in the season of Lent, we remember that we are powerless to ultimately secure our own lives. And yet we have this desire for our lives to go on into eternity. And Jesus remembers that God has this ability that even if, even as he goes through life, as he lays his life down over and over and over, as he leads all the way, ends up going to the cross and willingly submits his life and lays it down, he does so in the full-on trust that he doesn't have to reach out and secure his own life because the Father is capable of bringing him out of the tomb itself even after his life has been drained from him on the cross. This is the trust that Jesus goes to all the way. He shows us this pattern of living this relentlessly, ruthlessly faithful life of trust in God's ability to provide. Because whatever God leads us to, even if it's into the wilderness, God is capable of providing for us there and getting us to the promised land, getting us all the way to eternity. Life, all of it belongs to God. The great twist in the story and the temptation for us this morning as we get ready to share in communion together, and for many of us, this is breaking the fast. We've fasted for almost 24 hours now. I hope some of you have joined us in this process. Um, The great twist in this whole story is that the Jesus, the Son of God, who chose not to grasp for his own life and his own security, even to the point where he doesn't take up arms when they come to threaten his life. He he doesn't trust in the swords. He doesn't command and call down the armies of angels to grab him off of the cross. He doesn't reach for his own security at any point. He willingly gives his life and trusts in God. This Jesus who doesn't grab for his own security and his own provision, becomes for us the source of life itself. He becomes our security and our provision for eternity. The Jesus who didn't bother grabbing for his own provision becomes in his own life our provision, and he is sufficient for this. He is sufficient for you. He is enough. Christ is enough for you, for your life, for your life to be sustained even beyond the grave and all the way into eternity. Christ is enough. And I want to encourage you this morning as we get ready to take communion here in a moment to remember this truth that we don't live by bread alone, but on the word on the word that comes from the mouth of God. Would you stand this morning? We're going to listen to a song. If you know it, you can sing along. And we're going to have two communion stations.